Welcome to the Anonymous Andrew Podcast. Life and the choices we make. The choices other people make. Why we choose to ignore the red flags. Red flags like gaslighting, cheating, addiction, mental illness, and much more. What role do they play in relationships? Follow me each week as we discuss these topics with anonymous guests and experts to hopefully become better humans, resulting in better choices. Like I say, been there, still doing that. Now on to the show. Hello, everybody. Once again, Anonymous Andrew here with you today, and I am honored to have another guest with us today. Today, joining us is Keith Wilson, who is a licensed mental health counselor, and he's been practicing for 35 years, and he's also an author. He wrote a book, um, The Road to Recovery. So, Keith, would you like to say hello? Well, hi, Andrew, and, and it's the Road to Reconciliation. I'm sorry, Road to Reconciliation. Yeah. Yes, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, which, which might be the same thing as recovery, so you're not too far off. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. in recovery, so I just, I think okay. I, I mixed the two words up. Um, well, let's start with your book. Tell us uh -huh. a little bit about how you came to write this book and, and who's your target audience. Um, anything uh -huh. Well, um, for these 35 years that I've been uh, a therapist, I've dealt with all kinds of people, um, all adults and couples, uh, everybody from the uh, severely mentally ill to uh, people with addictions to the worried well. Uh, I w was part of a sex offenders uh, treatment program. I also uh, counseled people who have been victims. Uh, and the one thing that they all had in common was they had uh, either been hurt or have hurt other people in their relationships. And uh, I was always looking for a way to try to help them navigate the uh, very difficult process of healing from those hurt relationships. And um, I didn't really know what to do until one day I took a course from the Restorative Justice uh, Project. And I don't know if you know much about restorative justice, Andrew? I do not. Okay. Restorative justice is um, typically, like say some teenage kid um, uh, paints a swastika on a, a synagogue's parking lot. He gets in trouble with law, he gets caught, he goes in front of the judge. But what's the judge gonna do? You know, the judge could send him to jail where he might, you know, fall in with a bunch of skinheads and make him even more radical. Uh, or the judge will give him probation or, uh, and that would often be seen as a slap on the wrist. So quite often what judges will do, they'll sentence the, the kid or the adult to um, uh, see a restorative justice counselor. And this counselor would meet with them and will talk about what he did. And if he is has some remorse for this and wants to, to work with it, uh, then we go ahead and we'll talk about um, uh, 
what his offense was and how he might have hurt other people and what he might be willing to do to make amends. Hmm. And then the counselor would say, meet with the, the victim in this case, the synagogue, and, and talk to the congregation about the whole restorative justice project and see if they're willing to go through with this. And if they are, then we orchestrate a meeting of, of everybody. And um, uh, the, the kid talks about what he did and how he thinks he may have affected the people in the congregation. And um, uh, the congregation might add a few things to that about how, how they were um, afraid and you know reminded them of the Holocaust and all that kind of thing. Um, and if it goes well, then they'll come to some agreement to what the kid can do to make amends for, for what he did, like uh, rake the leaves or clean the clean the driveway of the offending uh, paint and or speak to the congregation in a, a service or, or whatever. Okay. And if the kid goes ahead and does this within the required period of time, it goes to the judge and uh, the judge dismisses the charges. And, and this is much better than the, what usually happens with people going to jail or, or probation because uh, the offending person actually has to face the victims and come to some terms with one another. Would they ever be asked to take the graffiti down, like clean the graffiti? Oh, sure. Off? Yeah, yeah. Sure, okay. sure. Yeah, whatever, whatever within reason that the congregation asks the, the, the person to do. Um, so I took this training and I thought, well, how can I apply this with my clients? And so... I, I tried to do this, and one thing that I, I found is, you know, quite often it's not entirely clear who is the victim and who is the offender, okay? Sometimes, uh, quite often, uh, both parties are both victim and offender. Uh, so um, I, through a lot of trial and error, I figured out a way to work with both of them on this to uh, essentially go through the same kind of process. Mm. Now, of course, this only happens if both parties are willing to do this. You know, so the offending party has got to be, you know, contrite about what they did. The 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 victim has got to be willing to to face the offender and 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 work through all that sort of thing uh and and often that's just not possible so then um i found a way to work with people uh individually to come to some uh state of, of peace with with what happened uh to, to learn from the experience perhaps and and to be able to move on uh, from there without losing too much more sleep over the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. So let's, how do we segue that? So that's a very interesting story. And I, by, by the way, I agree. I think sending a teenager whose mind is still uh, developing and uh -huh. who may have fallen into the wrong crowd. And that's why he became a skinhead. Maybe right. he doesn't have those core beliefs, but he just peer pressure, right? They were, 
So I, I think that's a, a fantastic idea. Instead of sending mm -hmm. them to jail, where they will be more, like you said, more radicalized even more. So mm -hmm. that's a wonderful idea. How do we segue that into relationships? Uh, well, let's take, for instance, the, um, the, 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 the active alcoholic who has been drinking from ye for years and quite often, not all the time, but quite often that person's drinking uh, damages the relationship that they're in. Okay. And, um, I, and I'm an I'm a recovering alcoholic with eight years sobriety. So I'm familiar with that. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, if, if that alcoholic were to go to rehab and maybe even go to outpatient treatment, uh, they'll work with that person to um, try to prevent a relapse, but they don't do an awful lot in, in uh, professional treatment to help people restore the relationships that were, were harmed. Now in AA, there's, there's quite a bit of tradition here about um, uh, you know, going to the people that you harmed and, and, and confessing um, what you did and, and seeking to make amends and all that kind of thing. But there has never been an awful lot of guidance about this. So I took a look at this to see if there might be a way of, of helping, say, these, these recovering alcoholics to um, restore the relationships that were harmed uh, by their drinking. And, and, you know, in those cases, it's, it's typically very complicated. You know, the, the, the non-drinking spouse, I mean, if there is one, sometimes they both are, are you know, are active in addiction, but 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 the but the not addicting spouse is often harmed by the person's drinking. Um, but uh, you know, the, being a victim uh, uh, by somebody else, be, being being victimized by somebody else, does not make anybody into a good person. Okay, it, it, it being victimized is a very dangerous uh, occupation. Mm -hmm. Aside from, you know, the harm of being victimized, uh, it's very easy to go off the rails and lose track of, of what you, you think is, is right in a, 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 an effort to maybe make things right between the two of you. So quite often there, you know, even the, even the spouse who was not drinking is, is guilty of a lot of things. Um, so we have to kind of work with, with both parties about what their offenses have been and uh, try to work with them both at the same time to, to make amends. And there's also, from, from my experience, there's that trust issue. So if there is like a marriage or a union between two people and one of them is a recovering alcoholic, the other person, the victim, may not trust the alcohol, because alcoholics and addicts can't be trusted, especially if they're active. And if they go through the 12 steps and, and they make the amends and all that, I, in my experience, when in the relationships that I've been in, they were concerned that I would relapse. Sure. So there's always that uh, yeah. anxiety yeah. that, you, and, and then of course you, you have Al-Anon 
where the victims are can go to Al-Anon and learn how to deal with the alcoholic. I don't know if, okay. if that, that comes into play at all. Um, sure. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah that, and that, and that's bad because um, generally the 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 addicts' loved ones are going to be the last people to believe in the addict's recovery. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Everybody else is going to celebrate your clean time, but, mm -hmm. but, but the loved ones are going to say, oh, hey, that, that's very nice, but are you going to be able to keep it up? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so it, it, it's ironic here that the people who love you most are going to be the ones who don't believe in you the most. But and you probably are familiar with this. I'm, I'm guessing you've been to a few AA meetings. At our anniversary meetings, we invite the families. They're yeah. open meetings, so yeah. the family gets to see um, how the program works. They get they get to see. So up in the front of the room are five celebrants, and one has 20 years, one has 30 years, one has 12 years. You know, and and the family gets to see that the program does work if mm -hmm. they. If, if the alcoholic works the program. So it gives them yeah, some sort yeah. of hope that maybe their partner, if they just yeah. follow what the 12 step program suggests, get a sponsor and do the work and make commitments and all that, that, that there could be hope. Yeah. Okay. Uh, however, one thing you don't usually see in, in AA meetings is you do see alcoholics, recovering alcoholics telling their story of addiction and recovery, and that's essential. But what you don't hear so much is the alcoholic telling their loved one's story of the addict's own addiction and recovery that's from correct. the loved one's point of view. Correct. But, but I think a recovering person needs to be able to not only know what his own story is, okay, but what his loved one's story is about his own addiction, because that's what he is risking when he relapses. You know, if of he course. can't, if he doesn't have a comprehension of, of the harm that he did to his loved ones, then, you know, he thinks that when he relapses, it's just his business. Okay. Uh, he's the only one who has to pay the price. Uh, I'm, I'm going to bring up a topic that might be a good segue from this topic. And, and again, I'll speak from my experience. So I am next month, I'll have eight years sobriety. Mm -hmm. But during that time, I found through therapy and through my sponsor and through various other outlets, I found that I, I swapped out my addiction of alcohol for women, you yeah. know, I became addicted or relationships because now doing this podcast and talking and being in therapy myself and talking to therapists and life coaches. And it seems that in those eight years, I've already been in three relationships and none of them worked out. And I seem to be jumping from relationship to relationship. So as soon as one ends, two months later, I'm right. I find somebody else. I'm yeah. right back in a relationship, and it's it's almost the addictive behavior. You know, yeah. I want yeah. what I want, or instant gratification. Yeah. Um. So I think you were right that you had mentioned earlier something about some of the rehabs or some of even even the twelve steps don't the pro the fellowship 
doesn't teach us how to deal with the other, the transference of addiction. So yeah. I put down yeah. the drink, but I picked up a woman. I put yeah. down the drink and I picked up a relationship. I picked up, yeah. I, I became codependent. And yeah. Yeah. The way it works is, is, is a drug turns the person into an addict mm -hmm. and then the addict turns everything else into a drug. Correct. Right. Yeah. yeah. They could, they can, uh, I I've seen many alcoholics turn to, to gambling, to uh, sex, to, um, you know, all, all, anything that's uh, addiction. Um, so, all right. So, Fascinating. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think how to go from that to um, an abusive relationship. <clears throat> this last mm -hmm. relationship that I was in, while she was not part of my, she never saw me in my drinking days. All right. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't know me as an alcoholic. She met me as I was sober. Um, I, I, the relation, I, I, I gotta be careful how I say this because I don't want to point fingers or I became addicted to her mm -hmm. literally. And, and she took advantage of that. Um, I think she saw, you know, early on in the relationship, I tried to establish some boundaries. Um, there were some things that I saw in her that I thought were inappropriate and they weren't the type of things that I wanted in, in a relationship. And when I tried to establish a boundary, she mm -hmm. broke right through them and I backed off. And um, once they see you back off, they know they know where they can step on you and um, they know where your weaknesses are and your vulnerabilities are. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I quickly became a victim and, and I don't really like using the word victim. I don't see myself as a victim because I stayed in this relationship. Mm -hmm. I chose to stay or I chose to ignore the red flags. I knew this woman was cheating on me. I knew she was lying to me. Um, and yet I stayed and, and it, it, I had the victim mentality and it took me a long time, especially after the breakup, many, many, many months of therapy and, and again, talking to other people and working the 12 steps to learn that I, I wasn't a victim. Um, I, I was an active participant in this codependent relationship. So mm -hmm. can you speak about codependency at all? Sure, sure. Well, I what I hear you, you, you saying here is that you... Uh, bear some responsibility correct for, for the outcome you you could have seen what was happening a long time ago but perhaps because as maybe you had once clung to your to your alcohol um uh you didn't allow the, the reality of what was happening to to seep in and, and so you you became an active participant in your own victimization. Correct. And and I think it's it's very good that you have an awareness of that. Um, but I would kind of caution you from rushing too quickly through the awareness of being a, a victim stage. Correct. 
And what I usually ask people to do, and maybe you've already done this, I, I don't know, um, is, is to actually sit down and make a list of all the offenses that this person committed against you. You know, and uh, you know, start with the physical offenses, the, the financial uh, costs, uh, some of the emotional ones, uh, but also to, to count in, uh, you know, lost opportunity costs, you know. So while you were with her, you weren't happy with anybody else. So that would be another cost, right? Right. So it, it's important to make a full accounting of all that because um, quite often when people don't do that, well, <laughs> they, they, they end up, you know, extending cheap pardon and going right back to the same thing, um, uh, figuring that uh, the, the, the reason things went bad is, is completely their, their fault. So, so um, I, I think it's important to make a good accounting. Also, sometimes uh, the times in my own life when I've made an accounting of uh, somebody who I think has harmed me, I, I usually end up saying it, it really wasn't that much. You know, uh, they, 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 they harmed me in, in symbolic ways generally uh, and not in any, any kind of real way. And so then after making that, that accounting, I, I'm, I'm able to feel good about extending forgiveness to, to somebody like that. And I agree with you. And I agree with you about being cautious about falling into the victim mentality. Like I said, I did fall into that category and then I tried to pull myself out of there because I did play a part. I chose to stay. I had the free will at any time to walk away. And I did not. So I bear yeah. full responsibility for my, the trauma that, see, I got to be careful how I say this, the trauma that she inflicted on me, really, I inflicted upon myself right. Um, right. because I stayed. I, I just kept thinking it was going to get better or, and, and I've been hearing this term a lot lately that I was not in love with her. I was in love with the potential version of her what uh -huh. I thought she could be. And, 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 and it, it, often in the beginning of a relationship, both partners put their best foot forward. So in the first six months, she presented a beautiful, charming, generous, charismatic lady. She was a lady and she made me, she made me, because today, in, especially in today's society, there's, there's, Sometimes ladies don't want to be called ladies. They want to be called women and, and whatever the movement is at the, at the flavor of the day. Um, but like I said earlier, once she saw my vulnerabilities and where my weaknesses were, that's when she started to pounce on me and, and do the things that she wanted to do and manipulate me. And, and I allowed it. I allowed it. So um, mm -hmm. I, I, am, I am not a victim. I am a, a, a participant in this. Um, you know, I, I, I will bring this up because we talked about a pre-interview. Uh, I learned today, uh, as I told you earlier, that before the breakup, about two months before, she wanted to reopen her business as she was running out of her home. And I financially, she said she didn't have the money to 
get the licenses and and the inventory she needed to buy and so i gave her some money and with the understanding that she would pay me back anytime whenever she could whenever she got her feedback on the ground that she could make installments I, I it wasn't that important to me at the time until today i found out that her business started on january 12th of this year and it is now may 12th or may 10th so she's been up and running now for five months and um you know i i i i don't in my mind i'm keeping a calculated tab about how much i i spent forget the romance money financial end of it the amount of money that i put into this business that when we broke up she no longer and by the way it was a no contact breakup so once we broke up there was i haven't spoken to her in seven months but now she's running a business and it's thriving i want my money you know i want my money back yeah. and yeah. um i i don't think i'm ever going to see that um yeah. uh, somebody suggested that i write her a letter and just say i see that you're doing well and can we discuss uh, pay, making payments on the loan that I gave you? But any thoughts on that? On, on writing the letter? Yeah, or oh, a, yeah. a best way to approach that, or, or or should I just cut it, cut my losses, and realize that you know there was nothing, there's nothing signed. I don't have any signed document that says she will pay mm -hmm. me back it wasn't a contract it was just one boyfriend giving girlfriend some money to get her business up and running right, right. but you trust that person at that time to keep yeah. their word you know and um i'm only bringing this up because this came to light today to me and i had i had already in my mind that money was gone over the mm -hmm. last seven months i said i'm never going to see that money because i really didn't know what she was doing i didn't know if her business if her business had taken off if she even pursued the business if she went off in a different direction I, I i don't know what she's doing today until i i got some information today uh that that it's doing well and then i started thinking oh if she's now making money so it, it's i i haven't okay. even had a chance to process this yet keith um, okay. well, I, well, well you're talking about the very difficult uh, matter of trying to get justice yeah for um, the harms that were done to you. Um, and uh, I mean, if, if you can, if you can pursue it legally, uh, I would encourage you to do that. Um, but if, if that's not a possibility, then uh, it, it, it is a very difficult matter yeah, to is. try to get justice, yeah. especially from somebody who is is not prone to acknowledge that they did anything wrong? I I right. I, I thought she was an honorable person, and and now I, I I I think to myself: Does she have no shame? Does she have no honor? Does she have no dignity to know that not only what she put me through, but that I did hand over these large amounts of money in, in increments of 500 here, 500 there, a thousand here. And I, to me, I, I, I can't put my head down on the pillow knowing I owe somebody money who graciously gave me that money. And if I, if I could make a payment plan with them 
Um, I mean, it, it would be nice if she reached out to me and said, hey, I'll, I'll zell you $100 a month for the next 12 months. And would that be okay with you? But I think I think it's pretty obvious that I'm not going to get that phone call or that mm. transaction. So, okay. Um, well, what I usually tell people um, who feel that they've been hurt by somebody that they love, and you know, if if that person also feels partially responsible for for this, I encourage them to start with going to them and apologizing for your part mm. before you present your own list of grievances and, and, you know, clean up your own side of the street more, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, first, uh, decent people will see that you're cleaning up your side of the street and then they'll follow suit. They'll do the same kind of thing. Uh, Non-decent people probably will say, oh, good. Yeah, he, he's cleaning that up. And so now I don't have to. Yeah. Um, so then then you got to try to bring it up in such a way. But it's a lot easier to bring this up when you've got a clean side of the street there than when you have, yeah. have a dirty side of the street. Um, and, and really, the, the harm you did probably to yourself it sounds like by staying in this relationship long after you knew it wasn't going to work, um, might have, might even be equal to the harm that she did to you. Um, I don't know. You'd have to do this accounting yeah. <laughs> to, 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 yeah. to, to be sure. Uh, but um, and and there is one of the. The ninth step is 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 about continuing to make living amends. So if you know right. we, we make right. the the fourth step is about making amends to the people in our past that we harmed during our alcoholic days. But going forward, if we if we harm somebody in in recovery, we're supposed to continue to make amends. Own own up to that. Uh, I I I know that there were times that I like you said, I was responsible for some of these things. There were many times that she came to me in the relationship and said to me, I would like to get out of this relationship. I don't think it's going to work for me. And right. we would break up for five days. And then either one of us would call the other person five days later, and then we are back together again. It, it uh -huh. happened both ways. Right. So I, I, I don't. Right. Go ahead. Well, there's a million mistakes that, that, victims can make when they've been hurt by somebody they love, but they all boil down to two. Victims, they, they, they either um, offer too cheap pardon, like it sounds like you did, mm -hmm. okay, or they stay vindictive and, and, and try, to, try, to, try to enact retribution on somebody that they're still in a relationship with. And a lot of people kind of swing from one to the other and do both. Okay. Correct. Right. Yeah. But 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 both both mistakes can be equally harmful for for the victim themselves. Uh, um, never mind the uh, you know the the other party. What is your viewpoint or your insight into a term that I've been hearing a lot, and it's not an old term, cl closure. 
what is closure uh, is closure something that is necessary or does it i like i said earlier there's been no contact between her and i i'm afraid right. to even write her a letter or contact her about this money because i don't want to open up a dialogue because i there was a connection that she and i had that once we got back on the phone and started talking to each other i'm afraid that reconciliation might actually begin and she might say yeah. oh i miss you and i miss you and and then we forget about all the transgressions that happened and we're right. Well, that back wouldn't in. be reconciliation. That would be cheap pardon. Reconciliation would be if you actually go through the whole process and and both parties acknowledge the harms done and and uh, deliberately uh, come up with a way of, of making amends just kind of wiping the slate clean right. and saying forget about it that's not that's not what i'm talking about when i'm talking about reconciliation okay so yeah. what, what does that look like for you and then how does closure come into play because i i i don't think she i don't know if she wants closure but i've always been thinking about one day i'd like to sit down with her and just hash it out and and right. but uh, i don't think that's ever going to happen so well it sounds like you've already done quite a bit of your own work mm -hmm. in in um uh processing what what happened so that you're you're not just blaming her you also are, are taking some responsibility and all that kind of thing you might be ready for this this meeting but i'll tell you um one person is is generally ready before the other one correct always yeah okay uh so somebody is kind of waiting at the intersection mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> for this person to come and um have done the real work of of processing what happened and is ready to get real okay um so when you're waiting at that intersection um you got to um, make a decision here about a how long you're going to wait mm -hmm. for her, um, and and you know what you're going to do in the meantime. Um, and so, what I think your task is at this point here is never mind reconciliation with her. That might happen if she comes around. Right. Um, the, the the main focus should probably be with achieving peace for yourself. Okay. Okay. Now, to achieve peace, the first thing I would ask is, are you safe? Okay. Because if you're if you're still well, if you're still with her, if you're still giving her money, if she's still, you know, um, getting, you know, leaving messages for you and that kind of thing and, and playing with your head, then you're not in a position of safety. You're never going to find peace no. as long as you don't have safety. But that's not the case in my case. There, like I okay. said, there's been no contact. So I am safe. Okay. Okay. So that, then it's, then it's a matter of, of, not dealing with her, but dealing with um, the version of her that you have in your head. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and 
coming to some some terms with with that version so that she's not you know renting too much space in your head all the time and, and thank you for saying that because again the reason i started this podcast was somewhat of a therapeutic thing for myself but i also wanted to get the word out there i don't believe in in this world in the mental health or behavioral world that we're living in you know whether it's a shooting in the morning they're always blaming somebody who's mentally ill just the other day i don't know if you heard in new york city there was a homeless man that was put on a chokehold and he died right. uh, yeah there's mental illness talked about everywhere and um I forgot where I was going with this point. Um, but I, I've been healing and I've been, yeah. I also went through EMDR therapy. I went to a therapist because I, I felt that I was traumatized. I didn't okay. tell this to you, but the audience knows this. The last time she and I were intimate, she came over and there was a, a part of her body that is a sexual part of her body that was in gores, it was inflamed. Um, and, and it was obvious that she was with men all night long. And that was traumatizing to me because that was, that's what put the straw, took the straw, the camel's back. I, I couldn't take it anymore. It was because she would come over frequently on the weekends and tell me oh. that she can't have intercourse or she can't have sex. It was, and the reason was that she was out the night before with men and then she was too sore to have intercourse with me. All of this was traumatic for me. So I went through, I had to go through a trauma specialist and we did EMDR therapy and it worked. I, I, I finally got over that and passed that. Um, so I, I am going through a healing process and I, uh -huh. I think I've gotten to a point where I'm where I'm safe and happy until today. <laughs> so I found yeah. out about this yeah. business and now, oh my God, she's making all this. Cause I actually know how much money she's charging for this business and, um, a lot of it can be a cash business. So she's raking in the money. Because I, I, uh, I also know that she ran a business for 12 years and she told me how much money she made during those 12 years. So I, I'm, I'm angry that you're making all this money and I'm the one that helped you get the business off the ground. So, right, right, but yeah. that aside, um, I, I, I'm, I have healed. And I'll, this is where I was going, I think a little earlier. This is the first time in my adult life, sobriety or otherwise, that I have taken this much time to myself. I am now single uh -huh. seven months. I did not jump right back into another relationship. Okay. I have been sitting with myself now for seven months, concentrating on this podcast, trying to learn, having experts on like as yourself and other people who have gone through this type of experience and uh -huh. hearing their stories. And this is... While it might be like I look at it sometimes as a second job, because at some point there will be a monetary gain from this, but there isn't now. I'm enjoying doing this, and um, I'm learning so much about not only myself but other people. Um, the everything from why people gaslight. I'm I even learned what the term gaslight, where it came from, because we we throw that word around. Does anybody ever know? what gaslight really means 
Um, well, there was a movie, right? Right, yeah, Alfred Hitchcock yeah, movie yeah. back from the 30s. Yeah. But yeah. I, I had to research that and, and I yeah. did a whole episode on that. So these are the things that I'm learning because she was a fantastic professional gaslighter. She could do something and it was such it was so obvious that what, what I was seeing was not being presented to me was correct, but she would make me believe it was, you know, or or the vice versa. If I called her out on something, she would tell me that I was power to the point where she convinced me to go on. Um, I think I'll say I, I avoided telling the medication, but about six months prior to the end of the relationship, she convinced me that I was so paranoid about certain things that she made me go on Seroquel. And I ended up going on Seroquel for six months, huh. which which did so much damage to my body. Um, I'm off it now. But this is the these are the things that she was able to manipulate me into like, mm -hmm. you need medication because you're paranoid. And, yeah. and in the end, I wasn't paranoid. What I thought what she was doing indeed is what she was doing. So, mm. all right, Keith, um, anything that you can think of that you, we left out or you would like to add anything about your practice, your book, uh, tell us a little bit about anything that well, if you'd like to find out more about uh, me or my book, uh, go to my website, uh, keithwilsoncounseling.com. And um, the, everything that you probably need to know is, is right there. And the name of the um, book is The Comprehensive Guide to Reconciliation. Uh, the name of the book is The Road to Reconciliation, um, The Comprehensive Guide to Peace When Relationships Go Bad. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Is it by any chance available in audio version? Audio? Like, has it been turned into an audio book? Uh, I'm probably going to uh, create it as a pod, you know, create a podcast out of that. Okay. Um, oh, great. Um, before I actually make an audio version of it. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm always looking for books to read, except that yeah. I don't have time to sit and read a book. So during my travels, I listen to many books in the car yeah. and uh, I find them very helpful. So yeah, it's a great way to do it. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. So, all right, Keith, um, I think we pretty much covered everything. Um, maybe we'll have you back in the future to, for an update or some more questions. Sure. Um, sure. It was a pleasure to have you on the show today. I, I did learn yeah. something and um I, as as I keep doing these episodes, I keep learning more and more and more. And uh -huh. um, so I thank you for your expertise, your knowledge, and your time. I, I know you yeah. took time out of your busy schedule for this. So, okay, a all right, everybody. All right, yeah. okay, and well, and for the audience, I'll put down in the show notes Keith's contact information and his website, and and I'll I'll, I'll somehow get the name of the book correct this time. <laughs> all right, <laughs> okay, all right.